0: Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Walter, and in today's episode, I'm honored to welcome Walid Khoury as my guest. Walid is followed by over 20,000 water professionals on LinkedIn, where he runs his daily water talks under his hashtag waterquestion channel, both in written and video form. In this episode, Walid will share the wisdom he acquired by evolving from field engineering to general manager and vice president positions in three major water companies. He'll also tell us how human achievements and business performances work hand in hand and how you can apply that in your company from today on. He'll bring us behind the scenes of his water questions and share a subjective top 3 of topics and answers that blew his mind. And he will leave a key question open that only you can answer, is he a LinkedIn influencer? And if he is, which is my opinion, how can he leverage this influence to bring our water industry forward? I had a lot of fun recording this interview, which is full of golden nuggets, so I hope you will have at least as much, and it starts right after the credits.
1: For more information, visit gfps.com.
0: Welcome, Walid, and uh, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Antoine. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: So I'll start with a postcard. You know, I, I like to start the podcast with a postcard. And actually, you're in a very nice place. You're in Dubai, right? So how's the weather right now?
1: Oh, my God. That's, it's now uh, really warm. So around maybe 46 degrees Celsius. Wow. The good news is that we, we are, we're fine. I mean, it's, everything is indoors, so you don't really feel it. But I was supposed to be in uh, Besançon this week, so I would have been very close to your place,
0: and we would have had the opportunity to do that podcast in French. But yeah. I guess <laughs> more people, unfortunately, understand English than French. Definitely. <laughs> so let's start with your secret sauce. You know, I like to start with that. So. What sets you apart in this fascinating world of water and wastewater treatment? What's your secret sauce?
1: That's a good question, Antoine. You know, I think I'm a hardcore water guy in the sense that I'm passionate about the water and uh, environment. This is what I studied at uh, university. You know, I did, uh, like you, a water and uh, environment engineering degree. Mm-hmm. I did a master's degree in water sciences and... I worked for the industry for 20 years almost, so growing from within. So I started as a service engineer, moved to sales and then leadership roles and so on. So I think my passion around uh, growing and developing people also contribute to this uh, secret sauce. I believe I'm where I am today due to, to coaching people, mentoring that I've done during my career, but also that the mentoring and the coaching I've received and the chances I was given to grow. And I love to do the same with people around me. And I think people notice this and the more it's noticeable, the more you create followership and engagement.
0: So you've mentioned your 20 years path and career path. Can you maybe give us some insights in the company that you've been working for?
1: I started my water career with Nalco and then moved to uh, GE Water, which is now Suez, part of Suez. And also, I worked also for Danaher, the last role. And I think the differences among these three companies is that both of the three of them are uh, really great schools. So at Nalco, I learned value selling. So there back then we would not go to and tell customers we have the best solutions or products, you know. So mm-hmm. so the mindset was more we would demonstrate that we are the best engineers who can tackle their challenges, understand their systems, and help them run their operations smoothly. So it was all about value selling and Nalco would spend a lot of money on educating their employees around value selling. So we had manuals, programs. If you succeed in the exams, then you're allowed to go for a graduation school, which was three weeks in Vienna. So imagine I'm a young engineer. Oh, nice. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have the chance to go to Vienna for three weeks, study more on the commercial and value selling part. And then again, you have tests and then you graduate the last week and you have the senior leadership in Vienna giving you the award and so on. So it was all about value selling, understanding customers' needs. In GE, because GE Water was part of GE, so it was all about leadership, you know. So it really inspired being surrounded by top leaders and and you want to be one of them, you know. it's When you see all these leaders around you, you, you really feel that you want to be part of uh, of them. And the culture back then was that We believed that each one of us can get little by little better with time. So you have higher expectations of yourself, higher expectations of uh, the people around you. And by all improving, we all together, uh, we all rise. This was the culture that was well-defined within GE. Mm -hmm. I recall I was on a leadership training, for example, uh, at Crotonville, which is a GE university for leadership. GE used to spend back then $1 billion per year, you know, $1 billion wow. on, on these training programs, definitely. And there I was in this campus, which is really like a mini Harvard campus, you know, so it's a fully-fledged campus in upstate New York. And you will get even a, a CEO of one of the businesses, in my case, it was GE Appliances, who spent the whole training program living with us on campus. So you're really immersed into anything called leadership. Mm-hmm. And the last one was... All around processes. You know, Hack is owned by Danaher. So Danaher is a little bit different than other conglomerates in the sense that we keep companies separate, running standalone companies, but we deploy something called DBS, Danaher Business Systems, mm-hmm. which basically is a tools around continuous improvement and how you can remain agile as a company, operate like start up develop processes that are sustained and help you to improve your business. So the culture was like, you're really a p leader. And I've never seen a large scale company as lean as this and pushing and empowering their leaders on the front line. So overall, the three companies were great companies, but I believe in my case, I learned something different from, from each one of them.
0: What's interesting also in your path is that you mentioned that you, you started as an engineer, then pretty fast you were trained to sales, and then you evolved to managing and leading roles. How did you do that transition?
1: I believe that you have to really start working from the field in the water industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I've asked even this question to uh, earlier. So, So for me, if you don't really understand customers' mindset and how water impacts their operations, you cannot really be successful later on, and lead a team. And as a leader, you need to always have this understanding what your people are going through. And the best way to get there is to start from the field service engineer. I never thought when I was studying engineering that I would become a sales manager you know, and, and leader. For me, it was all about technical. Mm-hmm. But by being inspired by people around you and seeing their career growth, it forces you to think differently and follow this track. So... I never applied for this role. Like I never thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to apply for a, a account manager role. It came by my manager asking me to apply for this role. And the same thing when I started leading people in North Africa. So it came as naturally because you are surrounded by people who want you to grow and want to help you if you see where you're performing.
0: Okay, that's pretty fascinating. And I have to say what's really fascinating is when I was reading through your LinkedIn bio, I was seeing the way that you present your achievements. And it was, to me, the first time that I saw someone presenting on the same level, the business achievements, and the human achievements, you mentioned that you've been leading companies making multi millions. And on the other hand, you're also mentioning that you improve the gender diversity that you were working into this inclusive way of, of treating people in the company. And I was just wondering, does one goal help the other or do you have to force yourself into gender diversity because it's a must?
1: I think, Antoine, they both work hand in hand. Like business acumen and human traits, they need to be tackled together. You cannot be successful if you treat people without respect or, uh, or not being fair with everyone. So you might succeed for a few years, but then you will be crushed definitely, especially in, in multinationals where everything is uh, visible and you work in a matrix environment. At the same time, it's a tough industry and you need many traits to be successful. So you need to have emotional uh, intelligence, you need to have high IQ, you need to have the technical know-how and of course the business acumen. Since it's a very competitive industry and you know it. So from outside, people might think it's a sexy industry, but it's really competitive, not to say commoditized. and. For this, you need to have the best talent around you and you cannot have the best talent around you if you don't tackle all the pool talent available and gender being one of them.
0: So if I was to say that there, I get there's only one, but if I was to say that there are two wallets, one wallet is the general manager that improved the EBIT and the other wallet is the one that uh, raised the gender diversity in his team to the point that you were at 50-50 between men and women, which one are you the most proud of?
1: I think both, you know, because if if you don't achieve your numbers at the end of the day, you know, you're held accountable for this. So, and if you're talking about gender, you need to walk the talk because your people are watching you and it's not about saying the nice things. It's about really making them happen. And keep in mind, like our customers today are very diverse. So... If you're not having a diverse organization that can understand their needs, you'll be kind of on the side of what are the trends and and what are their expectations. So think about it. To be able to achieve your numbers, 50% of the talent workforce today is female. When you look at universities, Mm -hmm. you're having more ladies graduating. So if you're not tapping on this pool of talent, you're not really helping yourself in terms of...
0: Uh, you're missing out.
1: <laughs> definitely, definitely. You're missing out a lot. And and you need to change the culture. So, for example, I never went to my team and told them, you know what, we're going to have 50% gender diversity because then you'll defeat the purpose. People will be just looking for females, hiring them, and then the numbers are good. When I started in Tanahar, I told them, we would like to be one day at a 50% gender diverse. There is no time set. There is no agenda on, on when will achieve this, but aspirationally, we should reach that target. And then you start changing the mindset is that we'll always be hiring the best candidate available, but we need to start by widening our talent pool. So then if we're interviewing, let's say, five females and five males, we get a fair chance of having the best candidate available. Mm -hmm. But if you're interviewing 10 males, you will end up with a male candidate. So it's, it's mass, you know? So... I think this is key in terms of uh, driving this. And definitely it impacts uh, your profitability at the end of the day.
0: So you've got the best ones working for you and the best one happen to be male and female and that's how you build the business.
1: Definitely. And I wrote an article about it on LinkedIn earlier. So you cannot post a job and expect to have a good slate of candidates applying. So you have to work early ahead on finding the right people. So when you have the job available you can reach out to them and tell them, why don't you apply? Building a talent pipeline starts way ahead of having the opportunity available.
0: Actually, you offer me a very smooth transition into our deep dive because you are what I could call today a LinkedIn influencer. If I was to take a bet today, because we are recording this episode by the end of August, but I think it's going to air somewhere in September. And by then you should have something like 20,000 followers just for the listeners to, to realize 20,000 followers on LinkedIn. That's the amount you have on your LinkedIn account. And there's a reason for that, is that you created something which is called the Water Question. And my very first question to the creator of Water Questions would be, why did you start with that? When, what, and how did you decide to start your Water Questions?
1: That's a good question, Anton. You know, I've been engaged on LinkedIn since maybe... Uh 12 years now but the real moment where it started really growing is that when I asked this question as you mentioned so so i believe the first question was around desalination i was frustrated listening to people talking that uh, desalination is expensive while you know it cost around less than $1 to produce uh, 1 cubic meter of desalinated water while if you buy a bottled water, you know, it might cost you maybe half dollar or one dollar. So for me, the logic was a little bit uh, flawed. And I wanted to see what people think about. So I started this question and asking them, is desalination expensive? It was a very short question. So I had posted already to, to LinkedIn, but not something in, in a provocative way like this. So uh, the question was open-ended and uh, to the point that I got some asking me compared to what can you clarify and so on. So I had to explain that I'm keeping the question open on purpose. So we have more ideas coming in and without influencing the thought process. And I think from now I started liking asking these questions and this triggered many of them.
0: So your first question was on desalination because you identified that there was a need and there was something which was not addressed by the people discussing on LinkedIn. Because most of the time, LinkedIn is about, uh, look at me, I'm wonderful, my company is the best. And then by accident, someone is commenting because it comes from the same company than the first one, which was mentioning that the company was perfect. You have a totally different take. You are asking open questions and uh, under your questions, there are really answers from both ends of the scope, really with all the, the shades of gray, if I might say. What was for you the triggering event where you, s- you realized that, well, you've tried one question, but you should start asking more because that's bringing something.
1: I think the triggering event was that at some point you start questioning yourself. You know, what's next for you in terms of career? So I've been working for 20 years now, and probably I still have another 20, uh, you know, before I go <laughs> on retirement. So so I would call this a kind of a mid-career crisis, you know. So so, <laughs> so what's next? You know, am I going to do the same type of jobs for the next 20 years meaning leading a water business in middle east and africa you know so my next role will be probably maybe in a different company or whatever middle east and africa uh, leader and so on so for me linkedin was a way to explore uh, start exploring a little bit further outside of my current geography but also outside of my uh, typical comfort zone you know like working in a multinational company there are other things that can happen, you know. So, so this was, I think, what was really the triggering event, and and I love that; it's really inspiring.
0: So, you mentioned that people should follow you to get a crash course on water treatment. What makes you feel that this is needed?
1: You know, it, it might sound a little bit pretentious. So, I clarify this sentence by saying because I learn a lot from the comments that are posted by people. So, it's not because of me that I will learn the, the, the crash course, but. It is needed, definitely it is needed, you know, because the water industry earlier hasn't been innovating. But I believe the next 10 years will drive tons of innovation, driven by digital water, MBE, uh, gene editing, circular water, and so on. And these things are happening real time, you know, so it's not like you have manuals to go and study them, because... Things are developing very quickly, and if you don't stay abreast about what's happening in in today's water world, you'll be left behind. Myself, I'm learning tons of things from all the comments that people are putting in, and I think we're just uh, scratching the surface. Think digital, for example. Nalco and CS today, they have thousands, literally thousands of connected cooling towers to their uh, centers. So we're really just scratching the surface of what's to be coming in the water industry. So to innovate and to make it successful, you need a community of really engaged people, knowledgeable, sharing across geographies. So I'll give you an example. So what is given in some countries is not in others. You know, you see conflicting thoughts sometimes from people in developed countries versus emerging ones the first ones who are in developed countries, people expect the government to provide all utilities. Mm-hmm. While people in emerging markets, they are more like kind of written off their governments because of corruption, because of uh, bad governance. And they rely on personal and private initiatives to get all the utilities up and running. So, so you cannot innovate if you don't understand different cultures. And what I like about LinkedIn is that it gets everybody connected. So if you want to learn practical and updated solutions, you need to spend time reading comments that people write. It's really astonishing in terms of value and also how generous they are in sharing their knowledge. In this industry, people are always proud of their knowledge and they want to share it.
0: Actually, I fully agree with you. But to me, the question is, you know, the water industry, I, I know I'm using that term a lot, but Sometimes I'm wondering, does that exist at all? Because you mentioned there's the developed country and there's the, the the other countries. There's also the ones which are specialized in one special type of treatment and the others which are specialized in another type of treatment. And then there's also a different axis of the matrix where you say there's the food and beverage application and then there's the, the drinking water application. And sometimes it sounds to me like there are many, many different words and all these words are talking together, but don't really understand what they are saying one to another. And when I'm looking at the comments and the answers to your water questions, some people are really, really interacting and some others seem to be screaming in the desert alone and screaming at others, which are also screaming in the desert, and they cannot really bridge together. So what's your take on this water industry as a take? Does it exist? And what would be the, the, the common spirit if it exists?
1: I agree with you, uh, Antoine, it's, it's a fragmented industry. You know, it's a combination of many, many, many different small scale companies. Of course, you have the major ones, but there are thousands of small companies and applications and segments. And definitely, the, the, there is a lot of disconnect. But at the same time, when you think about it, it boils down all to providing either clean water, you know, or generating a return on investment for a specific application. So the end point is the same, you know, so you take water from the source and then you have to discharge it back to the source. If you use it many times or you don't use it many times, you just have to discharge it. So the starting point and the end points are the same. And along the way, you have to interact with this water. If it's industrial application, food and beverage, refining, there are some applications that happens inside. So on this community, when you see people commenting, I agree with you some people are screaming uh, on their own okay and uh, and we need to keep in mind like like people on this community are from different countries different cultures religions even political backgrounds and they are all talking about one subject which is water so where, where do you see this you know so the, definitely the community exists the water community exists and there are a lot of debates as you mentioned But what I love about it is that they remain respectful. So I've asked maybe around 80 80 plus questions since I started a couple of months ago. I never needed to step in to stop an argument and I never found someone being mean or rude or unrespectful. And it's amazing, You, you don't see this today, you know, where today's world where you have globalization, losing steam with politicians around the world, you know, trying to make countries more isolated. So yeah, definitely it it exists, the water community exists, and I hope we can grow it and capitalize on this for the benefit of all.
0: You've mentioned also that the water industry wasn't that innovative for the past 10 years. And I I hear often my, my guests on this show, which tell me that we are in a quite conservative industry. What's your feeling? Because you are really at the pulse of this industry. What's your feeling about that?
1: You know, there were two... Two realities that are, are truths about the water industry that I've learned the hard way over the last 20 years. First one, it's a commodity business. So you have to work hard to earn customers and even harder to retain them. And the question why is it a commodity business? Because it is tough to innovate. It's not because we don't have technological advances. It's a very regulated industry, you know, where customers cannot afford to take risks because they are they get fines, they are very regulated. Mm-hmm. And even though there are a lot of innovations happening, sometimes it's very difficult. It was in the past very difficult to make them viable commercially. So there are a lot of technologies that have been around, but making them commercially viable is a challenge. The other issue I found is that talent is scarce. So you really cannot find talent. And I came to the conclusion that you need to grow talent from within. So, for example, in GE and at HAC, I developed programs where we can afford to grow talent from within with low risk and high returns. So I give you an example. In, in GE, we did the field service engineering programs mm-hmm. where we would hire many field service engineers. They are the entry level. You develop them. You see who are, which ones are, have potential and so on. And at hack, I developed the inside sales engineers. Typically, an inside sales associate will be would not need to be an engineer because they are just doing quotations and answering basic queries. So what we did in the Middle East, we we scaled it to an engineering program that can be a feed to next roles in the company. And both worked really great, uh, but then you need companies to commit to developing people and bringing more youngsters to the industry. Because the challenge I see is that we're having people graduating in chemical industry and water and so on, but they don't stay within the water field. And this is where us as companies have to develop them and make sure they, they integrate well and they continue their career in the water industry.
0: So that reflects to your previous reflection on, on the need to have the best talents, whatever gender they are, because there's not that much talents out there. So if you don't get the best because you already restrict yourself from the people you are addressing your offers, then of course you have even less talents. So talents is the key, if I get you right.
1: Definitely, it's a competitive industry. To break through, you need to have the top talents around you. So
0: let's assume that those top talents are commenting and answering your your water questions. I would guess that maybe at least once you got a bit blown away by one of the answers you got. Is that the case? And if yes, what was the question? and What was the answer that totally changed your mind?
1: That's a good one. You know, I'm learning every day. You know, I've been 20 years in the industry, but I'm learning every day from those comments. And it's really rewarding. Like things I never knew about, I'm getting to know them. So for example, one of the questions, which was around COVID-19 monitoring in sewers, you know, now it's a big hype monitoring sewers. So sewer surveillance, which is like more the wastewater-based epidemiology, WBE, it has been around for almost 20 years, you know, in, in the Netherlands. I've been using it to monitor everything since 20 years. And it's just now that it's, it's becoming very relevant. You know, for me, I never knew it existed before, you know, and what type of things you can monitor. But with COVID-19, it's made it very relevant. And now everybody's talking about it. So this is definitely something new, I mean, for most of us, you know, compared to some specific countries where, where they were using it. Another question, for example, was on uh, privatization. So if you trust more to have the water privatized or not. And here again, you see the the disconnect between people in uh, where they can trust their water public provider and not how they interact. There was one also on the uranium, how you remove uranium in potable water. I didn't think it was such a big problem. I got this question from one of the followers. I didn't think it was such a big problem, but then it turned out that in many places around the world, especially in Asia, it is a big problem. And uh, I think a lot of questions are really kind of, they, they blow your mind in the sense that not just the question itself, but the answers you get and how they are already established, but they need to go on a commercial scale. For example, gene editing, you know, where you can have bacteria edited to go after specific nutrient and remove it from the water. So now you can design, for example, a bacteria to go selectively on on a specific nutrient. It costs $20 million, the whole program, but it's feasible.
0: So what's the path to this commercialization? Because it sounds to me like this is a major hurdle in our industry. Now I'm assuming that our industry exists. See how I changed my mind discussing with you.
1: (laughs) Look, you've been 10 years in the industry yourself, so I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure it exists you know, or else we will not have stayed here.
0: <laughs> what I've seen on my end is that sometimes, you know, it's like we are not sure what the market is wanting. And if you read the answers to what questions, exactly like you said, for instance, the sewage monitoring might say, uh, if I'm hack now and I see that uh, sewage monitoring becomes a thing and really is a key to this wastewater epidemiology and opens new fields and there's an opportunity right now because it might be a welcome side effect from the pandemic that now people realize that this is a thing. And now I'm, I look at my product portfolio and my solution portfolio and say, hey, maybe I don't have exactly the right product or solution to feed that need. How can it be a driver? How, how do you make the connect between this newly identified need and the way that you feed your R&D streams?
1: I think the days of inventing things on your own are gone, you know, because it's a very evolving world today in the sense that big data, analytics, AI, machine learning, they are not all a water industry thing, you know, biotechnology. So so all of them are not really a, a water niche. So to solve today's challenges, I think cross-industry collaboration is a must, you know, and Let's face it, we're not going as a water R&D centers. We're not going to invent everything. So we really have to find a way to partner with other industry to really get something out of it, you know, and move forward.
0: So what you're saying is that basically we should avoid to have this image of the naked scientist, which comes out of his past and say, Eureka, I found something new and instead try to repurpose things which are existing somewhere else and apply it to the water industry.
1: Definitely. I'll give you an example. If you, if you talk, for example, uh, water uh, analysis, okay, water monitoring. So before you, you will come and say, I have the best analyzer, it can give you an accuracy of, I don't know, 2%, okay? Which plus minus 2%, which is great, you know, never seen before. It's the best analyzer. The future model is more of, you know what? You can install 10 analyzers in different parts of the plant, okay? And because of my software, I can always, in real-time monitoring, detect the trends. And your analyzer might be cheap and just maybe giving you a 20% error, but because of all the AI around it, I can tell you exactly when your instrument is not giving a good answer. You know, so it's a complete shift from a product to a solution-based selling that's not really water-related. It's coming from different industry. You know, so if you are in your R&D lab and trying to get to the best accuracy in terms of precision and monitoring, you're out of the game because... People don't care, they will buy an instrument which is five times cheaper, but they will be able to install it in many locations and get a better representation of their uh, operations. Mm
0: -hmm. You've been working for big groups, I did as well, and I still do. I don't know if I was not watching enough or if that's a new trend, but it sounds to me like there are more startups entering the water industry, and they are bringing a fresh breath because they are bringing this kind of cross-sector innovation that you're mentioning. Is it my impression or have they been there always and I just didn't notice?
1: I think you're right. It's growing exponentially. You're absolutely spot on. It's growing exponentially. And like before we used to have like people sitting on their computers and creating softwares. They didn't really impact the water industry back then. But now with the Internet of Things and so on, you can have a lot of interconnection with the water world. It's very cheap today to, to install uh, sensors in many parts of the plant and that's creating an opportunity for all all the new emerging technologies to come and meet the water industry. We will see more and more of these companies. challenge is how you make them successful because you have many of them trying to find their ways.
0: So maybe to make them successful needs some some knowledge and to have some knowledge you need to have some people sharing the knowledge. And when I see that you're posting over the last days, something around three questions a day and really engaging with many professionals. I'm just wondering, does that make you a LinkedIn influencer?
1: That's a, that's a, good, a good one. <laughs> no, you, you know, I think it is an aspirational goal. I'm not going to lie to you and say, you know, I know, I, I'm not looking for this, definitely. But I'm far away from being a LinkedIn influencer today, you know, so... I'm trying to stay niche and within the water sector. So all my posts are truly water, I would say. And this doesn't get you followers in bulk. You know, it's not like, like if you're talking finance, everybody will be following you. But it's okay, you know, because I'm I'm looking for the long-term value and not a short-term win. And by looking longer term, you know, it, it definitely improves my personal brand. So I hope one day I will be perceived as someone who contributed to the growth of the industry outside of uh, my own region which is middle east and africa so i spent a lot of time coaching and mentoring people that i didn't even know maybe a few months back so for example i do some uh, mentoring sessions with uh, people in australia brazil california you know it's completely different cultures and different experiences and as a leader in the industry i I think we should all be doing this, you know? So we owe it to help other people also to grow. In parallel as what I'm trying to do also to help companies to expand also their reach. So I get a lot of requests from some of the following individuals asking me how they can break into the Middle East, how they can, you know, expand the reach of their own product or what I think about their product and so on. So I'm getting these type of questions, but would I be seen as an influencer? I think the community later will tell. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, yes.
0: <laughs> but somehow that makes you already a consultant, right?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, it's good to feel that you can contribute, you know, and that it's not just about the jobs that you do, but also how you can expand your reach and, and help.
0: So you've mentioned this human aspect. If you look to what you prefer yourself, you've been a general manager for large companies, like we've mentioned here we've mentioned G Water, and now you've, I'm going to call you this LinkedIn influencer, or we could also say... Uh, <laughs> a, a catalyst. I like it, but <laughs> <laughs> you, you're kind of a, a catalyst for these questions. What do you prefer? Where's your hurt going if you had to choose between both? I know it's difficult, but.
1: Yeah, I love leading teams. You know, so I love to create engagement, drive productivity up. The challenge is that people think it's great to be a leader, but it's a tough job. You know, it's not just like you're the boss and everybody works for you. So it's, you need to walk the talk all the time you need to work for your team you know and not it's not the opposite you know so you need to drive their career growth you need to help them uh, in terms of meeting their own goals you know and when you do so you have a sense of achievement and that's what motivates me the most you have to give people around you the opportunity to learn develop so definitely both goes hand in hand so you have I love to lead people but at the same time sharing knowledge and getting people around and being the catalyst of knowledge as as you said so yes definitely but i'd never pretend that i'm an expert you know i'm just helping facilitate kind of inclusive leadership bringing people all along so they can all uh, improve and grow at the same time
0: you know i think that's called the dunning-kruger effect it's the, the the people who who don't know much about the topic are very very proud to talk a lot about it and are very bragging about the fact that they know everything when in case they don't know much and then the people who know quite a lot they are even shy of saying that they know a lot because they know what they know and they think everybody knows that and they also know what they don't know. And you sound to me like <laughs> really on that, on the end of, of that curve where you have a lot of knowledge, which is acknowledged by the fact that you get consulted by people trying to enter your area where you, you you're the most expert of, but also you're mentoring people from various geographies. So. Uh, I think that makes an expert of you or if that doesn't make an expert of you, I don't know who is. So (laughs) just (laughs) just wondering. (laughs) Thank you, Atan.
1: (laughs) You you know, you know, if, if you really, I mean, I I don't have even time to read all the comments, but if you read all the comments, you really feel that, you know, nothing (laughs) because, because, because the level of knowledge around, it's really amazing, you know, and, and in every specific field, you, you find people talking about things you never thought of. And that's really great.
0: So, you know, What I'm wondering is that nowadays, if you want to make a crash course on marketing, it's really easy. You type marketing course on on Google and you get 50, 100, 200 people offering marketing courses. Uh, You can also, and that was very much developed through the pandemic, but you can go to Harvard virtually and make an online course and get a digital certificate. And I'm just wondering, in the water industry, to my knowledge, there is nothing like that. Do you think that could be something in the future? Would you be interested in running such an initiative? Or do you need the hands-on aspect? And if you don't have the hands-on, then you're just missing something in water.
1: I'm glad you asked this question. You know, I, I was joking about it last time with my wife. She's a seasoned HR professional. So I was telling her, if I structure my daily questions around a full curriculum... In a year's time, someone who followed all these questions would have grasped enough knowledge for him to go on a water internship, you know, because there is so much knowledge outside on the digital world. And today you can write a full curriculum with links to YouTube videos, research papers, case studies, and even companies' websites that that are rich with info. So 10 years ago, for example, to confirm what you said, I did my master's degree in management and it was 50% done online. So why can't we move to 100% today in the water industry? Definitely, it is interesting to me, and it's something I would be exploring. Today, a lot of people cannot even afford to go to universities, because, but they do have a very good internet connection, you know? So, So if you structure a curriculum around water just by getting free content from the internet, but having the right content and the right order, Definitely, you can have uh, even a PhD in water by just offering this.
0: So needs a catalyst to, to put that content in the right order and to have kind of a structure and a path. But then there you could tackle those talents, which are a bit missing in our industry.
1: Definitely, definitely.
0: So let me round off this part with a last question. And for that, I'm taking my crystal ball and I'm asking you to have a look in my crystal ball. And let's say we are two years in the future. Where do you see yourself? Are you back as a general manager somewhere in a big name of uh, of this industry, or are you definitely a LinkedIn influencer, or are you now a consultant, or or whatever? Where do you see yourself in two years? Oh, that's a that's a tough it's one. It's a tough one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> really, it's a tough one. I, I, I'll tell you why. Because I'm giving myself a few months before deciding what will be the next uh, my next career move. So I'm getting pulled into different directions and, and trying to resist on committing immediately. So I just want to take a few months off to really think what I'll be doing. So, so I'm getting, for example, request of, of being a channel partner's representative, you know, in Middle East and Africa. Others are asking if I want to be their financial partner in their distribution company, so established uh, channel partners who trust my knowledge. So they want me to help them in but by being by partly owner, you know. Also, I'm considering becoming uh, a small shareholder in small water technology companies. And of course, the multinationals discussions like to go back to a multinational. So I'm trying to take some time off to think it through. But at the same time, I'm loving this uh, influencing work. You know, but the problem is, and I'm sure you know it because I see you also active. It's a 24-7 job, (laughs) but it is rewarding, you know, because you get to meet, great people around and, and learn about great technologies and companies. So most probably whatever I decide to do in terms of career, I will continue the influencing part. It's fun. It's a great part of what we do.
0: It's fun. For sure, it's fun. But, you know, sometimes I see my wife saying, no, you're not again on LinkedIn. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I
1: understand the feeling. <laughs> but
0: when it's true. It's fascinating. It's like uh, there is knowledge without an end. And uh, if you're a bit curious, for, for sure, this is... It's fascinating. I cannot find another uh, adjective to qualify it. It's really fascinating. So if it's fine with you, I propose you to switch to the last part of the interview. So the rapid fire questions. Okay, great.
1: It's time for the rapid fire questions.
0: So my first question would be, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why?
1: So I had three projects. I can think of a little bit in different uh, dimensions, so either strategy, for example, when we worked on the East Africa market penetration, or Algeria desalination desalination, uh, go to market, or even an application in a paper mill in Kuwait. So the three of them are different, but they each present a challenging uh, and exciting uh, uh, part. So the East Africa market penetration strategy makes you think that how little knowledge you have of different cultures. So until you immerse yourself there and you go you spend time and try to, to learn about the culture and how they think and, and what drives their decision making and so on, it's it's a completely different world. And, and you learn a lot and it's very rewarding. In Algeria, I was engaged, uh, this was when I used to cover North Africa, I was engaged in, uh, in finding the right chemistry for a desalination plant. This was the first desalination plant across large-scale desalination plant across uh, Africa, 200,000 cubic meters per day, and it was great to be engaged early on during the construction, getting samples from the sea, going by boat, getting samples because you don't have yet the intake, trying to identify the best polymer for this application. and. The so beauty is that uh, 12 years later, they are still using the same polymer, you know, so, so,
0: so you it, made a good it's, choice. it's really,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really rewarding. <laughs> and, and the third one was, was an application uh, when I was at Nalco back then, like when I was starting my career, I started looking at paper mill applications. We had a recycling paper mill in Kuwait. And what I loved about it is that whenever you put a product, you see it's a process application. You see what happens to the paper. So it's a quick reaction and, and you see how you're improving or not improving the process. So this was really, for me, a, a eye opener in terms of what the value we can add in terms of, uh, uh, operations for, for our customers.
0: That's a nice top three. <laughs> so <laughs> let me move to my next one. And now I have to assume that your job is to be a LinkedIn influencer. I just uh, decided that that's how you call it. <laughs> so <laughs> what's your f- favorite part uh, of your current job as a LinkedIn influencer?
1: I think the favorite part is to see the answers. So I'm thinking about the question and I just, I just throw this, this question, you know, and I'm like waiting, let's say 10 minutes, one hour, 30 minutes. Is anybody going to answer? What are they going to answer? And then you start seeing the question. I mean, ultimately, when somebody starts answering, others follow, you know, and I think this is the most exciting part. Of course, counting how many followers you add every day. But, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, it is... It is uh, it's a good,
0: good part. What is the trend to watch out in the water industry?
1: I think the biggest trend is the circular water. And even though I see on some of the posts, like some people are challenging it, but to me, it doesn't make sense that you pump water miles away and then you use it and then you pump it back miles away. You know, it doesn't make sense. And, and especially today with what's happening, for example, you're having agriculture within the city, you know, so the water usage will increase Definitely. So there is no point of sending your water back. So I think circular water, getting the nutrients out of the, the water, studying all the microbiome within the water and so on, is definitely the future. And companies who don't really invest uh, in this uh, space will be missing out in the future.
0: So what's the counter argument to circular water uh, management?
1: I think some people think scale... Makes a better efficiency and also in terms of safety. So you can better monitor the quality of wastewater, treated wastewater, if it's run by a government, you know, in a, in a large scale plant versus doing it in a small building and, and small uh, neighborhood. But today, with the technology available, and I doubt it's still a challenge. It's, it was a challenge probably 10 years ago, even five years ago, but now it's not anymore.
0: I'm just wondering because you know if you if you visit um, an industrial plant in in China, for instance, at, at the outlet of every single plant, you're going to have this hack analyzer, which tells the government live if the wastewater is from the right quality. So it doesn't need to be in the big municipal plants because with the digital solutions, as you said, you can be monitoring from from everywhere. So. I see the idea that if the loop is really too short, then of course you, you lose a bit of the bigger picture.
1: Yeah, and, and why don't you reuse water 12 times, you know, what's stopping us from using the water 12 times? In fact, when we take water from, from uh, the environment, it has already been re- recycled many times, you know, so so why can't you replicate this? It has
0: been through a dinosaur at some point, so... <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so. What is the thing that you care the most when you're designing a new product or a new process or a new service? And what's the one you care the less?
1: I think speaking of a process, for example, I focus a lot on having a sustainable process. You know, there is no point of working on a process. And then once you, you're you not focusing on it, you know, it, it, it doesn't uh, move forward. So it has to be sustainable. And most importantly, if you're going to spend time and effort, it has to be scalable. So there's no point on working on a small process that give, doesn't give you a high return on investment. So, so it has to be definitely scalable. You can start small, but make it uh, scalable. And in terms of uh, what I care less, it's it's being perfect. I had a marketing uh, teacher who used to say that the cost of being late exceeds the cost of being slow. So basically, we want to have the best perfect product, you know, but then if If you're late to the market, you've missed the game, you know, so just throw it out and fix it on the fly. This is what you used to say. So definitely sometimes perfection doesn't help us to go fast.
0: So that's that lean startup approach or agile approach where you iterate on the go until you reach not perfection, but at least something which has two legs and is able to walk.
1: Correct. And then get the feedback from the market, you know, how is it, what you need to uh, improve, then you will improve it faster because you're getting real feedback versus your own thinking or assumption.
0: So it's interesting because it's again about feedback and discussion and having the markets interact in, in a certain way. That's a good one. Do you have sources to recommend to keep up with the water and wastewater market trends? And you're allowed to say, to follow you on LinkedIn? (laughs)
1: <laughs> Look, there are a lot of magazines and documents available today, you know, that can help you remain up to date and following the market trends. So I'll give, for example, uh, the Global Water Intelligence uh, magazine, GWI. We have the web uh, publications for wastewater or the AWA for potable water. But I'll go back to the LinkedIn and, and it's not a biased approach. <laughs> I'll tell you why, because LinkedIn's philosophy is what you get in your feed, and this according to one of their senior uh, director, Pete Davis, what you get in your feed is they want you to see messages from people you know talking about things you care about. Okay, So people you know talking about things you care about. So if your network is within the water sphere, you will get all the relevant information about water. And think about this. These are all people in the water industry. So where fast can you get? faster can you get relevant topics about what's happening currently in the industry and so on, you know? So, so LinkedIn used to be a job portal. Today, I challenge anyone who says, if I can find a job on LinkedIn, because when you apply today on, on, a, on a job, it's like 1,000 applications. You know, you have the ability to see how many applies if you have the premium membership. So 1,000 applicants, who's going to, to review your CV out of 1,000 applicants, you know? But it has evolved to become a content platform where you can publish thought leadership and get to know everything within a specific industry. But it's up to you. I mean, if you go abroad, you will not find the relevant information. That's why it's not Facebook. People should not be using it just to post their pictures and, and talk about some events they went on during the weekend and so on. It should be more relevant to your job and more your industry.
0: So if you're focused on the right niche, so to say, you can extract valuable information.
1: Definitely. You'll get the information coming to you in in your feed because this is the philosophy of LinkedIn.
0: That's a good one. So let me ask you my last question. Would you have someone to recommend that we should definitely invite as soon as possible on that specific microphone?
1: I think there's one leader who really made an impact on my career, but at the same time, uh, he's an American gentleman who lived in China. He ran operations in China, but then also he lived in Middle East and Africa. He ran operations in Middle East and Africa, different parts of the U.S., global and regional roads. So his name is Bob Holtz. He worked for uh, CIES earlier, which was GE Water, and then uh, currently he's in Camp Treat. So definitely he will be someone who could could share lots of valuable information.
0: So I'll get to try to invite him.
1: I will send him a note if you want. I'll I'll connect with him. That
0: would be nice. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So thanks a lot, Walid. You've been an awesome guest. I hope that everybody had some some fun listening because I had really lots of fun by discussing with you. And I'm even convinced by the end of this interview that water industry is existing. So really, <laughs> you made you made a change.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Antoine. I mean, for me, it was a pleasure talking to you. And it's really great, uh, this community. It's really great. And you get a lot of learnings by just talking to people using the industry. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.